What is going on, you guys? It is Dog Cost Crypto here with the FOMC meeting breakdown, man. I am joined by the one, the only Kylo Tran. Yes, sir. And the camera didn't pan fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> Look, we had some stuff running, man. I don't want to hear it. Here we go. I'll I know. I, I feel. Here. I feel this is like abuse right now. I mean, like we're, you know. Here you go, here you go. His Kylo his, Tren in the building. Yes, the super chat guy. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> all hail BBC gang, we up. Pepe gang, we up. All hail, man. But first and foremost, man, I've got a very, 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 very special announcement, man. The full screen, me, please. The announcement of the Crypto Mindset Vegas Meetup 2023 is here, baby. Going live August 4th to the 5th, baby. It's $400 all proceeds of tickets will be used for the party. There's no expectations of the profit of our pockets. 
we literally last time we threw this party it was gigantic it was really tight we we, uh, we rented a three-story mansion we had uh playboy bunny um bartenders we had craps tables roulette tables uh blackjack uh we had texas hold'em we had mermaids in the pool we were going to get a fire breather but they didn't allow us Lit this close to getting a fire breather, and we didn't get one. Uh, we had DJs that, uh, you know, DJ with the black IPs and stuff. It was a really fun time. And then on the second day, we got into a ton of debauchery and fun. But a lot of network connections were done. A lot of businesses were actually started at that party. Um, you know, we were able to meet quite a lot of cool people and discuss things that we can't even discuss on YouTube and stuff, as well as much more, like... I can't say for that, but basically there is going to be some VIP tickets on sale as well where like you're going to be able to hang out with me, Charlie, and a couple other guys. We're going to have Rolo Tomasi come through. We're going to have uh, Donovan Sharp. We are going to have um, Michael Sartain there. We're going to have some people coming through, and maybe the Red Pill Lines as well. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot of people at this party, man. So definitely come through, you guys. 400 bucks. Have the time of your life. One cool thing is, too, if you want to bring your one of your lady friends, it, plus one free for um, – if you have a ticket and you bring a you know, female with you, they are included with the ticket. If it's another bro, you got to get another ticket. Sorry. It's close, that is. Uh, man, just feminism, bro. They finally won. They've, they've got us, man. $400 ticket. They won. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but you can take me down now. Beautiful, man. And uh, so, yeah, man, there you go, man. When party, it's going to be August 4th through the 5th. But realistically, I would tell you guys probably stay the whole weekend because last time – uh, by Saturday, I think half the guy, more than half the guys left and stuff. So we ended up just hanging. It was like 50 of us hanging out at a pool. <laughs> you know, the pool parties. We we're just doing all kinds of stuff the next day. And then even even up until like Monday, we were kind of doing some stuff with like some stragglers left over. I'm looking at you, rough stuff. <laughs> so it's gonna be a really fun time. We're gonna have we're gonna have some VIP tickets. We're only selling the normal tickets right now. We have over 50 sold so far. We have just barely released them about like what three days ago. So uh, this is the first time I'm announcing it on YouTube. We're going to announce it to the rest of the chats as well. The Crypto Mindset Quarter 3 got in. Um, and yeah, man. Pretty cool, man. Sheesh. And you know what? Give us a Pepe for that because that was incredible, man. Crypto Mindset Party. Let's do it. That voice is magical. That voice is magical. That voice is so magical. I love. I love that meme so much. But um, also for one thing too, anyone who gets the tickets now before Monday, before the end of Monday, we are going to have a return on Flex webinar. So anyone who gets tickets for the for the Crypto Mindset Meetup 2023 is also going to be invited into the Flex on uh, fl um, return on Flex webinar that we are having with Fresh CEO Prince from Fresh and Fit. We are having that webinar uh, 2 p.m. on Tuesday next week. So anyone who gets who buys tickets, you automatically get a ticket to join Return on Flex webinar, which we're going to go over how to safely buy Rolexes. If, I mean, if you, you want to stunt, let's get the most bang for your buck, how to buy Rolexes, how to get supercars, what to splurge and what not to splurge. And basically to get the things that you want, do you want, do you want to have more 
hidden wealth versus like you want to be a little more flashy and it all depends on your kind of your marketing strategy and what you're trying to do so hey we fresh knows which cars pop and which doesn't man he knows which gets which cars get the hose and which cars don't get the hose <laughs> which cars get the hose and which cars get the bros yeah oh man dude that, yeah definitely man but we're going to talk about cars watches hose and apartments and everything so everything that you need to live this rich life return on flex webinar coming through so make sure you get your tickets now because uh at some point we're going to close we're going to close it up and stuff so uh, depending on demand if we start getting a little overbooked we, we might end up just closing it at that point so uh we're fully expecting something like 200 plus people at the party we're already at 50 sold right now we're probably going to end up by the end of the week at over you know 150 people at there so our last event was about 150 people so it's going to be uh, quite wild. We have to cut it off because it was it's it a little degenerate. <laughs> uh, we basically rented out last time. We ended up renting out like half a club, just <laughs> just for the just for all that dudes popping champagne bottles and doing all kinds. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, we went into debt. Not you. Know, <laughs> I went into financial struggle because of this last party, you guys. I, I can't. No, anyway. All jokes aside. You are here for the FOMC meeting, not breakdown, not the party. Boohoo. Even though Jerome Powell is trying to destroy the market. Now, I want to preface this before I go into the full video right now with a little short video that I, I kind of pulled up for you guys. This is, you share my screen for one second? Full screen, you too. Beautiful. So this is a good representation of people like, okay, I'm going to exit. I'm going to exit out of this coin and get into another coin or I'm like, haha, I've left. I'm selling. Like, doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get hit. In this market... That's oh, so God. fucked. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, there's Jerome Powell. <laughs> right there. So we have, so we have officially, 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 we have, we have entered a really weird state. So we have paused, but we haven't pivoted. Say what? We have, we have paused, but we haven't pivoted. What that means is Jerome Powell has promised to, a new, to do another at least 50 more basis points of increases this year. So this isn't the, like, even though this is the, one of the first times I think we've done like a pause and then a keep and an increase and stuff. And I'm going to go into a lot of the reasons why I think this is going on. Obviously, this, a lot of this has to do with the banking sector, how weak it is. And they're a little afraid, but they're going to continue on. So it looks like at the very least, we are going to end up at 5.7% for the Fed's fund rate. We are currently at 5.25, we're gonna increase. So the range right now, um, I think all rate hike increases stop by the middle of 2024. So at the top end, we are looking at 6.25 for the federal fund rate to probably 6% being like, so somewhere between 5.75 to 6.25. So in that range, more than likely, since we kind of like hit in the middle of the last time, because if, if you guys go back to my videos, I had been saying since early 2022 that basically the highest the Fed will kind of take us would be, you know, five and a half, five percent, five and a quarter, went to five and a quarter, basically. Now, um, you can get close, but you're never going to be 100 percent accurate. Sometimes we get lucky. and we, Boy, do we get lucky here. But this is Vegas. <laughs> but... Um, it is, it is an interesting sort of thing. So can more continued grindage of that. So because of these increasing more rates, that means the real estate bottom has been pushed out a little bit now. Okay. Um, so we may, so now beforehand, we could have said that, okay, real estate is going to bottom. If let's just say this was the pause, we pause, 
Pause. Rates are paused now. I literally feel like I was talking like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> rates are paused now right here, right? It's usually about six to nine months before that really reverberates throughout the market, and then you actually get like a market low, right? Because the, the real estate market is a slow-moving giant, right? Slow-moving giant, fast, bristly walking uh, corporate gentleman for equities, and this cracked-out meth head running the fucking running a forty-yard dash <laughs> for crypto, right? These are the three speeds of crypto, right? Um, but I was going to say, like, what was it? It could be crack, meth, and, like, uh, uh, Fedra <laughs> or whatever, or speed. Or, or speed. But these are the, these are the kind of the, the three, like, speeds of the market, right? The three main markets right now of crypto, besides the bond market, the bond market is its, it's, its own sort of thing. But in terms of, like, the average person will invest in, it's, it's, most people are not buying bonds. They're just not, right? They are buying equities, real estate, crypto. These are the three main yeah. asset classes. Bonds are very important, but that's more of a business and mm -hmm. bank side. The, the, like you, you as a person, you're probably not buying mortgage-backed securities or you're buying treasuries, not very likely, right? So, or T-bills or anything like that. So you're, you're, you're not more, that's more of a bank, that's more of a B2B and sort of like, I don't know, B to central bank. <laughs> I don't know, like whatever it ends up, or G to government, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just governments around the world, big businesses and central banks that are buying bonds for the most part right but now in terms of the gentiles and the normal humans right where we're buying we're buying real estate along with blackrock who owns six percent i think of single family homes in the united states now yikes and is now buying bitcoin sheesh blackrock you guys can you believe it blackrock is now buying bitcoin right they've now they've now said they have a hundred and fifty three thousand btc and now officially have said that they are going to release a blackrock ETF for Bitcoin wow. to be approved still, but it's BlackRock. That's the one. That's the one percent boomer money. And man, dude, I was talking about turn on flex. I totally forgot my Rolex and everything <laughs> today. Like I just literally, I've just been rushing all day today. But um, damn, this might need to move that. All right, so yes, yeah, so they basically have owned. They they've been secretly buying. So when they dump, when they're dumping the market right now, there's there's two things. Why is the SEC going after crypto right now? Right? Let's let's try to let's try to ponder for a second. Why is the SEC coming after crypto? Probably to fud out the market, the prices go lower, right? Of course. But maybe to allow their friends at BlackRock to buy more crypto. Preferably more Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're mostly buying those two. Sorry, XRP. But uh, <laughs> well, they're mostly buying Bitcoin and Ethereum in order to, to because one, Ethereum's a really good, it's a really good asset, especially because it pays about a 4 to 6% dividend for holding it, right? Not bad. And on top of that, Bitcoin is basically, it's big, everyone's heard of it and stuff. So it's basically like gold. So it's like a gold and silver, um, it's the boomer money of crypto, right? But because of limited supply, the halving coming up, typically it's sort of, the strategy is like you buy, you buy six months before a halving and you sell nine months after a halving, right? We're going to have halving sometime in probably mid-March, early April, depending on how they, um, how it's, Bitcoin is mined at the time. So a lot of, there's a lot of like, when, when, you, when you look at the news, right? You, you can just read it at face value, but once you've been in a lot of these other markets and stuff, you start kind of piecing things together, and you see, like, these fucking assholes are working together. The separation of government and business? No, no, no. In bed. Yep. But with that, man, let's get to my boy Jerome Powell, dick smack in the market. Uh, the link for this video is in the description below, as well as um, we have the in, below. We also have the link for the Crypto Mindset Meetup 2023, baby. Sure, return on Flex webinar this Tuesday. It's going to be glorious. Can you share my screen, please? Thank you. Beautiful. Okay, Kylo, train right there. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Full screen, this please.
And for you guys who don't know if this is the first time you're watching, I'm gonna, we're going to go through just about, eh, I'd say, 90% of this video. Uh, usually the last 10 minutes is kind of bullshit anyway. But we're going to go through most of this video. I'm going to pause it periodically um, to give my comments on it and um, might rewind a couple what-the-fuck moments. There's a lot of them. He, he was, man, my boy Jerome was speaking wild. I specifically, specifically have placed the video right here to see him. Like, he Hulk Hogan smashed open the door. Like, Brock lesnar this door right now. Look at the arm strength. God damn. <laughs> Good afternoon. <clears throat> My colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. Nope, no, 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 no. Let's let's stop right there. Damn, I didn't get three minutes into this video. <laughs> All right. Let me break this down again, right? Their dual mandate, right? The real dual mandate is basically we need there's a lot of infl inflation is dangerous because if you get too much hyperinflation, you become Argentina and you have your currency collapse. The government, the, especially the federal government, the federal government does not need to tax you. They only tax you in order to get rid of money that they have already spent. They print money. They spend. They they don't. They don't. The, the the government prints the dollars. They take those dollars, spend it on the market, all their black ops pro projects, and then the rest of the government. Right. Then from there, what they did is a oh, whole fuck. We 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 printed a lot of money. We have to now tax the plebeians and the rest of the uh, and the rest of the classes in order to take that money away from them because we've already spent that money. So we need to remove this so we don't get hyperinflation. That's what taxes are for. The ta as well as to de disempower you, but the raising of interest rates serves two focuses, right? They're basically trying to get rid of jobs. They're trying to actually call it, they're, they're, without saying it really, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to hurt the asset prices of, of real estate, equities, and crypto. They're going to make you lose your job to get rid of all the inflation of the money printing that they created. That's the dual mandate. And the thing that they're scared of the most is if, they, if, if there's hyperinflation and they, they, these guys effectively lose their ability to print money, that's the scariest thing in the world. So they're willing to like, like live it lean, sort of, for a couple of years if that means protecting their baby of being able to print money. That's the truth. So back to your regular schedule program. Good afternoon. <clears throat> My colleagues and I remain squarely focused on our dual mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. We understand the hardship that high inflation is causing, and we remain strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve. Without price stability, the economy doesn't work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. Since <clears throat> early last year, the FOMC has significantly tightened the stance of monetary policy. We have raised our policy interest rate by five percentage points, and we've continued to reduce our securities holdings at a brisk pace. So when they're saying security holdings, um, this basically means that they have uh, assets that they've had a purchase, like toxic assets they bought off the market. 
But what they do is essentially they hold on to it. They, they never really market sell them. What they do is they hold on to it until they, until they essentially get, get to uh, the correct age. And then from there, they just take the money from there. So it's like you have a 10-year bond. The 10-year bond is paying you a dividend. At the end of the 10 years, you get your principal back. So that's, that's calling rolling off the balance sheet. So um, you typically will – we're in some deep shit if the Federal Reserve ever decides to sell assets off the balance sheet. That's crazy. So more than likely, anytime they buy anything, they just let it roll out because they're mostly buying bonds, right? Um, especially with this current um, – the current little collapse we started having on the Silicon Valley banks and everything like that, which was not crypto-related. That was more of, um, I would say, speculative um, – I would say startup money, basically Silicon Valley money and stuff. Well, I mean, it says in the name anyway. But um, as well as the secondary cause was really um, you ended up having a lot of trouble in these kind of middle to lower end banks that are holding on to a lot of commercial real estate as well. So the real estate market, be, so everything that's going on in the market, why everything's blowing up is because they've increased interest rates so fast. We've gone from zero at the beginning of 2022 to we're at 5.25. And there's more. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. In light of how far we've come in tightening policy, the uncertain lags with which monetary policy affects the economy, and potential headwinds from credit tightening, today we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Looking ahead, nearly all committee participants view it as likely that some further rate increases will be appropriate this year to bring inflation down to 2% over time. And I will have more to say about monetary policy after briefly reviewing economic developments. <clears throat> the U.S. economy slowed significantly last year, and recent indicators suggest that, <coughs> that economic activity has continued to expand at a modest pace. Although growth in consumer spending has picked up this year, Activity in the housing sector remains weak, largely growth in consumer spending. That's um, one increasing prices. So, of course, if you increase the prices on all your products, you don't just increase it just for the inflation. You go overboard a little bit. So does everyone else. And then on top of that, credit card debt has been soaring in America. So be, it, because of this high inflation that's been going on, Americans and not just Americans. Every other country around the world has been essentially borrowing a lot more money and using credit cards in order to uh, make the bills. Dang. Reflecting higher mortgage rates. Higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment. Committee participants generally expect subdued growth to continue. In our summary of economic projections, the median projection has real GDP growth at 1.0% this year and 1.1% next year, well below the median estimate of the longer run normal growth rate. The labor market remains very tight. Over the past three months, payroll job gains averaged a robust 283,000 jobs per month. The unemployment rate moved up but remained low in May at 3.7%. There are some signs that supply and demand in the labor market are coming into better balance. The labor force participation rate has moved up in recent months, particularly for individuals aged 25 to 54 years. So everybody nominal wage growth <laughs> has shown signs of easing and job vacancies have declined so far this year. While the jobs to workers gap has declined, labor demand still substantially exceeds the supply of available workers. 
FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance over time, easing upward pressures on inflation. The median unemployment rate projection in the SEP rises to 4.1% at the end of this year and 4.5% at the end of next year. Inflation <clears throat> remains well above our longer-run 2% goal. Over the and I want to say one thing. I, I personally think we the closest we're probably going to get in terms of like how where inflation is going to be is probably 3 and some change and stuff. I don't think we ever touched that 2% unless they really, I mean, they would have to jack up the rates like crazy. You know, we're talking about a really bad, like, you know, like almost depression damn near in order to hit those levels. So um, I don't think we're ever going to hit the, that 2% rate. But, hey, man, Jerome Powell can just keep, you know, increasing rates. For the 12 months ending in April, total PCE prices rose 4.4%, excluding the volatile food and energy categories Core PCE prices rose 4.7%. In May, the 12-month change in the Consumer Price Index came in at 4%, and the change in the core CPI was 5.3%. Inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. Nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high, and the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. The median projection in the SEP for total PCE inflation is 3.2% this year, 2.5% next year, and 2.1% in 2025. Core PCE inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, is projected to run higher than total inflation, and the median projection has been revised in the SEP up to 3.9% this year. Despite elevated inflation, longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well-anchored, <clears throat> as reflected in a broad range of surveys of households, businesses, and forecasters, as well as measures from financial markets. The Fed's <clears throat> monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and, price and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes hardship as it erodes purchasing power, especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. As I noted earlier, since early last year, we have raised our policy rate by five percentage points. We have been seeing the effects of our policy tightening on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy. Now, this is going to be really interesting. Listen up where our interest rate increases have affected these main markets. Listen, the, the main places you can gain wealth in America <laughs> <laughs> to get out of the rat race and, and ascend the citadel. Our policy tightening on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, especially housing and investment. Mm. Take time, however. Mm. <laughs> Mm, damn, man, your boy Miguel be cooking. I'm just <laughs> telling you, bro. <laughs> Housing and investment. I saw it, bro. He almost said crypto. I heard, I saw it, Elliot, for a second there. That, that'd be so funny 20 years from now, he's going to be saying, or like 10. I, I would actually, well, let's see. It'd be interesting, probably at the peak of the market sometime in like late 29, maybe 30, 2030 or something like that. He'll probably mention the cryptocurrency market's been doing, you know. <laughs> it's going to be such a flex to hear them say cryptocurrency market. I cannot wait. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, so basically, like, this whole, all the churn metal in the market is because of increased rates. Now, should they have had the rates at zero for so long? No, never. Haram. They never should have had rates at zero for so long. They should have just, they literally could have slowly increased the rates like a quarter, 25 basis points once a year. And then this increase wouldn't have been this crazy. But hey, man, that's, you know, foresight. To our 2% objective. As I noted earlier, since early last year, we have raised our policy rate by five percentage points. We have been seeing the effects of our policy tightening on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, especially housing and investment. It will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. The economy is facing headwinds from tighter credit conditions for households and businesses, which are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation. The extent of these effects remains uncertain. Mm. <clears throat> in light of how far we've come in tightening policy, the uncertain lags with which monetary policy affects the economy and potential headwinds from credit tightening. Six to eight months. The committee decided at today's meeting to maintain the target range for the federal funds rate at five to five and a quarter percent and to continue the process of significantly reducing our securities holdings. Is the sound of the video really low? Give me one second. Okay. As I noted earlier, nearly, nearly all committee participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. But at this meeting, considering how far and how fast we've moved, Let me go back a little bit because you just said something really important right there. Jerome literally drops some crazy bombs. Like the last meeting was, eh, you know, kind of, you know, like not bad. There was like, it's like every other meeting he just drops this bazooka. This has been like one. This is probably the most bazooka one he's dropped so far. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, like, he's, like he's never forecasted like so much of their numbers before that I've seen in any of these meetings. I've been watching all these meetings for like three years. I, I, it's hard to believe, really. At five to five and a quarter percent, and to continue the process of significantly reducing our securities holdings. Okay. As I noted earlier, nearly nearly all committee participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. But at this meeting, considering so that means no pause. It was a pause, not a pivot. So the whole thing about the equities market crashing is basically once the so once the the the, the Fed pauses with a pivot means we're not going to change direction, go down. That's when you usually get a crash. So right now we're probably looking at a small little dip in the market. Um, I'm kind of forecasting at the most maybe like fourteen hundred dollar Ethereum in terms of the low. It, it might only just go to fifteen or something. I think right now we're like sixteen forty. <laughs> sixteen forty. We're at sixteen forty right now on Ethereum. And um, afterwards, we're going to rebound. I, th I, I truly believe, like Jerome, because we, with these continued, uh, because our next FOMC meeting isn't going to be until the end of next month, I think on the 23rd, 24th. Um, and we'll look up the dates right now in a minute. But once, this, once that actually happens, they're more than likely not going to increase on the next one after that. So we're, we're kind of looking at a, basically, he's going to kind of, he might actually give us a little, a slight hot boy summer, <laughs> like a month and a half hot boy summer. Because I think I think especially during like October, um, October and August and stuff is when he's gonna come back with a twenty-five percent basis point, and another one after that. How far and how fast we've moved, we judged it prudent to hold the target range steady, 
to allow the committee to assess additional information and its implications for monetary policy. In determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. In our SEP, participants wrote down their individual assessments of an appropriate path for the federal funds rate based on what each participant judges to be the most likely scenario going forward. If the economy evolves as projected, the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal funds rate will be 5.6% at the end of this year, 4.6% at the end of 2024, and 3.4% at the end of 2025. <clears throat> so wow let's go back let's listen to what he just said right now that was some sauce he gave numbers out if the economy evolves as projected the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal funds rate will be 5.6 percent at the end of this year five points eh, it's probably gonna be 5.75 so basically by the end of this year we should hit about 5.7 I don't know why I've said 5.6, unless they're going to do is We're at 5.20. That doesn't even make sense. But anyway, so basically we're, we're going to get 50 more basis points of increases and then possibility of chilling out and, go, and then dropping the rates down. So the Fed pivot is going to end up happening towards the end of the year from what they can tell. But remember, that's only if the CPI keeps going down and they see the job numbers going down and then from there and the inflation numbers going down as well all these all the consumer price index the people losing the jobs people losing jobs and um asset prices falling and, and all the other etc then from there the pivot will happen and they'll start dropping the rates slowly from there if the economy evolves as projected the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal funds rate will be 5.6% at the end of this year, 4.6% at the end of 2024. So basically they plan to drop the rate 100 basis points by 2024, in 2024, and then continue that into 2025. So, And 3.4% at the end of 2025. I don't know why they're doing those kind of like it doesn't make sense like because they always move in 25s anyway so it's basically he's basically dropped he's we're, we're so basically in, at, in 2023 we're we're hitting the peak at 5.75 then in 2024 we we, we dropped down to 4.75 and then by 2025 we're at 3.50 so I'll, I'll write the i'll write these down in the chat right now for you guys just just so uh, i can uh 5.75. Bam. There we go. So basically 5.75, then 4.75, and then... 3.50 so they're dramatically dropping it in 2025 by 125 basis points instead of a hundred basis points so effectively at now that the pivot happens then that's so you so if that if now calculating that out that means we're probably looking at third quarter bottom of the real estate market 
for cash buyers. And then as the rates start, as they finally start dropping the rates, then we'll start getting that. We'll, so it could become a little earlier. So it, depending on where they drop it, if they drop it sometime in like mid midsummer, they start really dropping the rates. I think they dropped the rates after the Bitcoin happening. Shout out to the boys. Uh, <laughs> after the Bitcoin happening. And then that'll start like getting people to want to buy again and stuff. And then the rates will start coming down. So that's actually, that's when they start releasing the breaks off the real estate market. And they're printing, baby. <clears throat> so it, it could be possible because of Fed, because we, we, like this is the first cycle where we're really, really like tightened up with the, the financial sector this time around. That it's possible, you're right, 20, maybe 2026 could be the top or end of 25. But this is why we got we to play everything. If you're in massive profits sometime in late 24, early 25, take out some money for, so you and your family can have some McNuggets. Feed yourselves. Feed yourselves, you guys. Take a little. You don't, have to, you don't have to sell it all, but take a one off the stack. Put it in the bank. If you got your, if, if your portfolio is sitting at three million, take a million off the table. And if it, let's just say it, cra it starts crashing, okay, you took another million. So instead of like, all right, I gambled, I, I gambled because I could have took four, but instead I took two and a half. That's where to me speculating on five hundred thousand dollars a profit. You're still pulling 2.5 out, but the chance of pulling four to five, I take that shot every day. But you're still pulling out the mill heat. Mm -hmm. You guys here, yeah, look, there's 230 you guys here with me right now. Fucking soldiers, man. I mean, literally, our army's more powerful than the 300. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, shout out to you, Spartans. But basically, look, we're in 2023. This is going to be the best year to buy. What's the second best year to buy? The first half of 2024. Afterwards, we're really just we're snipering just new projects, and then maybe we're, we've sold a little bit and rebuying back in with but with old money that we've made from profits. That's different, but it, like the majority of our buying has to be now until the first half of 2024, and now we're market sniping. We're like we're taking we're licking profits off here and there. We're yield farming. We're you know we're using liquidity. We're using all the tick, trips of the of the trade and stuff to you know take profits and stuff. And if this thing ends up running to twenty six, Mazel Tov, beautiful. We are going to sell all the way to the top. Mm. Pay yourself, fool. <laughs> Yo, and the, the, I'm sorry, I got to mention this. There's a there's a oh my god, there was a uh, guy in the chat that says he doesn't look like a, he doesn't look like a Jerome. <laughs> Sorry, that killed me, dude. I'm sorry. Oh my God. All right, back to uh, the, the Fed. Going forward. If the economy evolves as projected, the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal funds rate will be 5.6% at the end of this year, 4.6% 4, 4. at the end of 2024, and 3.4% at the end of 2025. <clears throat> For the end of this year, the median projection is a half percentage point higher than in our March projections. I hasten to add, as always, that these projections are not a committee decision or plan. <clears throat> if the economy does not evolve as projected, the path for policy will adjust as appropriate to foster our maximum. And just one last thing. If you guys want some questions answered on this, leave a super chat. We will be answering all super chats. Um, halfway through the video, we'll answer some super chats. And at the end, we'll answer the rest of the super chats. All super chats will be answered unless you say something really dumb. <laughs> but besides that we will answer all super chats you guys and if you guys have any questions or want me to like really go into something else then let me know there you go employment and price stability goals we will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting based on the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation as well as the balance of risks we remain committed to bringing inflation bringing inflation back down to our two percent goal 
and to keeping longer-term inflation expectations well anchored. Reducing inflation is likely to require a period of below-trend growth and some softening of labor market conditions. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum employment and stable prices over the longer run. To conclude, <clears throat> we understand that our actions affect communities, families, and businesses across the country. Mm. Everything we do at the Fed is in service to our public mission. Mm. Okay. We will do everything we can to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Jerome, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you. Colby Smith with the Financial Times. I'm curious what gives uh, you and the committee the confidence that waiting will not be counterproductive at a time when the monthly pace of core inflation is still so elevated, um, interest rate sensitive sectors like housing, while they felt the drag um, of the past Fed actions, um, have started to recover in some regions and financial conditions, um, you know, most recently were easing. So... <clears throat> I guess I, would, I guess I would go back to the beginning of this tightening cycle to address that. Um, so as we started our rate hikes <clears throat> early last year, we said there were three issues that would need to be addressed kind of in sequence. And that of the speed of tightening, the level to which rates would need to go, and then the period of time over which we'd need to keep policy restrictive. <clears throat> so at the outset, going back 15 months, the key issue was how fast to move rates up, and we moved very quickly uh, by historical standards. Then last December, after four consecutive 75 basis point hikes, we moderated to a pace of, 50, of a 50 basis point hike, and then this year to three 25 basis point hikes at sequential meetings. So it seemed to us to make uh, obvious sense to moderate our rate hikes as we got closer to our destination. So the decision to consider not hiking at every meeting uh, and ultimately to hold rates steady at this meeting, I would just say it's a continuation of, of that process. The main issue that we're focused on now is determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. So the, the pace of the increases and the ultimate level of increases are separate variables. Given how far it, 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 we have come, it may make sense for rates to move higher, but at a more moderate pace. So blah, 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 economy hurting. <laughs> so basically, we've increased rates so fast that the banks are starting to lose stability and we get scared. <laughs> and so we are going to pause and let everyone know what we're going to do for the rest of the year. So basically, this pause was basically, yo, more pain is coming. So effectively, what this, re what this really was, was to tell the banks, we're going to tighten more, you guys. Shore up cash. Shore up cash. <laughs> right? Don't buy ten. Don't buy ten year. Uh, don't buy any ten year fucking mortgage bond until after this year. Basically, then that's when you want to buy. When the mortgage bond, like once they're really wrecked, and then the rates start coming down, then they they start appreciating for you, right? Because bonds, bonds. Uh, when when interest rates go up, bond prices go down, but yields go up effectively right so the the reason and then in order so the reason the price of bonds go down is so their yield looks more juicy right so as an example right if i'm paying five percent dividend on a hundred dollar like a hundred dollar a hundred dollar bond that pays five percent dividend and i increase the rates dramatically to let's just say to a to a certain extent it will the current bonds of the market are not paying 10 percent or paying that that um that lower that lower price with the equal with the equal amount so with the with the, with the hundred dollar bond you just bought it will have to crash to 50 to increase it to 10 in order to make that bond 
um, competitive in the market. But when, when, when interest rates are going down, bond, the price of the bond where you bought it increases. The yield goes down over time, right? So you're still getting paid that original money for your original capital. Awesome, you locked in that yield. But then on top of that, the, the actual price of the bond, you can sell it off for way higher than you bought it. So for these banks, these banks should, should yo, yo, banks hit me up, what's up? HB, HB, doing deals with Martin with the narcos, right? But, uh, oh, then Taliban. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those guys are dirty fucks, man. HBC fucking sucks. Mm. But, but basically these banks, if, if Jerome Powell just said, yeah, the top of the, the rates are going to be basically at the end of this year, you basically would want to buy, you want to start buying bonds at the beginning of 24 and then ride the interest rates coming down. And then that's, that's where all the profit is. You're welcome economy solved <laughs> but but all but all jokes aside um with yeah with Jerome Powell here I mean basically saying like we caused all this stuff this is so if, if this pause is really not for us it's to let the banks and some of the institutions know hey we're pausing right here we're gonna give you a month or so and then we're gonna tighten the screw two more times they show the curtains yeah I mean they're, they're, that's what I mean every, it, this is this is what the whole meeting's about it's all smoke and mirrors like we're pausing here not really, because we're gonna bring more pain. But we need you, because they got really scared. They got really scared with with all this, with all the stuff that happened with the banks. It was it was a scary effect. I mean, they they effectively had to buy back a ton of mortgage backed securities, and have an open ended program where any bank they have a bank run. That I mean, I've I've done videos on this. Go on my YouTube channel. I've talked about basically the bank runs and stuff with Silicon Valley Bank. But it's it's pretty crazy. So the Fed doesn't want that to continue on. So they're really telegraphing, hey, yo, we're gonna throw a fastball right now. In two innings. So let's hear him talk again. The key issue was how fast to move rates up, and we moved very quickly uh, by historical standards. Then last December, after four consecutive 75 basis point hikes, we moderated to a pace of, 50, of a 50 basis point hike, and then this year to three 25 basis point hikes at sequential meetings. So it seemed to us to make uh, obvious sense to moderate our rate hikes as we got closer to our destination. So the decision to consider not hiking at every meeting uh, and ultimately to hold rates steady at this meeting, I would just say it's a continuation of, of that process. The main issue that we're focused on now is determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. So the, the pace of the increases and the ultimate level of increases are separate variables. Given how far it, it, we have come, it may make sense for rates to move higher, but at a more moderate pace. I want to stress one more thing, and that is that the committee decision made today was only about this meeting. We didn't make any decision about uh, going forward, including what would happen at the next meeting, including uh, we did not decide or really discuss anything about going to an every other meeting kind of an approach or, mm. or really any other approach. We really were focused on what to do at this meeting. So there was no kind of initial debate about the possibility of July, any sense of the initial support at this stage for that move? So again, we didn't we didn't make a decision about July. I mean, of course, it, it came up in the in the um, in the meeting from time to time. But really, the focus was on what to do today. I would say about about July, two things: one, decision hasn't been made; two, it, I, I do expect that it will be a live meeting. Uh, thanks, Howard Schneider with Reuters. I was just wondering if you could help us understand the, the narrative here, because it, it feels like there's been. A level shift in the in the dots, um, stronger GDP, uh, less of a hit to unemployment, 
slower progress on inflation. And I'm wondering, in this sort of, where's the disinflation coming from? Sure. Uh, the labor market's going to be stronger, it looks like. It's not coming from there. Uh, demand's not coming down all that fast, according to GDP. You've done what a great question. So where where is all this disinflation going to happen at asset prices? In the, in the dots. Um, stronger GDP, uh, less of a hit to unemployment, slower progress on inflation. And I'm wondering, in this sort of, where's the disinflation coming from? Uh, sure. The labor market's going to be stronger, it looks like. It's not coming from there. Uh, demand's not coming down all that fast, according to GDP. You've doubled your, your estimate of GDP. So what's the, what's the narrative here? It seems like it's getting more immaculate rather than a little messy. So you're, you're right that the data came in, I would say, uh, consistent with but on the high side of expectations. So and if you go back to the, old, the, the former SEP, um, the last SEP in March, you will see that growth moved up. These are not huge moves, but growth uh, estimates moved up a bit. Unemployment estimates moved down a bit. Inflation estimates moved up a bit. And, you know, the, all three of those kind of point in the same direction, which is, you know, uh, uh, that perhaps more restraint will be necessary than we had thought at the last meeting. So although the level, frankly, is, is pretty – the level of 5.6 is pretty consistent, if you think about it, where the federal funds rate was trading before the bank incidents of early March. So, but, so we've kind of gone back to that. So your question is where is the, where is the disinflation going to come from? And, you know, I don't think the story has really changed. <clears throat> we, the committee has consistently said and believed that the process of getting inflation down is going to be a gradual one. It's going to take some time. And uh, I think you go back to the, to the three-part framework for core PCE inflation, which is, we think, a, a, as good an indicator as you can have for where inflation is going forward. You start with goods. With goods, we need to see continued uh, healing in supply conditions, supply-side conditions, They've definitely improved a substantial amount, but if you talk to people in business, they will say it's not back to where it was. So that's that's one thing, and that should enable goods prices to continue, goods goods inflation to continue to come down over time. In terms of uh, housing services inflation, uh, that's another big piece, and and you are seeing there that new rents, new new leases are are, are coming in at at low levels, and it's really a matter of time as that goes through the pipeline. In fact. So he's talking about um, a lot of the people who own multifamily and single-family homes as a business. They're doing bad. And this, and then also talking about electricians, plumbers, landscapers, uh, basically anyone that's working in the housing sector, their, their work is starting to slow down because less people are rehabbing and building new properties and stuff. It's getting harder to sell houses. Yikes. I think any forecast that people are making right now about Inflation coming down this year will 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 contain a big dose of and hit the like button, you guys. Next year will contain a, a, a good amount of of uh, disinflation from that source, and and that's again probably going to come slower than we would affect. That leaves you know the big sector, which is a little more than half, <clears throat> pardon me, of the uh, of core PC inflation. That's non housing services, and you know we see only the earliest signs of disinflation there. It's a sector. It's a very broad Ooh. and He said. We have just barely started seeing the crash in real estate. Peep that. They're so slick with the word. They're so slick. You'll miss it. You'll just like, you just won't pay attention for a second. You'll miss what he just said. He literally just said, it just started. The pain. The housing pain has just started. Of the uh, of core PC inflation. That's non-housing services. And, you know, we see only the earliest signs of disinflation there. It's a sector. Disinflation just means prices go down, <laughs> life doing bad. <laughs>
Dude, they're fed, dude, they're so good with it, man. Like, dang. You know, we see only the earliest signs of disinflation there. It's a sector, it's a very broad and diverse sector. I would say in a number of the parts of that sector, the largest cost uh, would be wage costs. It's the service sector, so it's, it's heavily labor-intensive. And uh, I think many analysts would say that the key to getting inflation down there is to have a continuing loosening in labor market conditions, mm. which we have seen. We have actually seen, you know, uh, I go through a number of indicators suggesting that there's been some loosening in labor market conditions. We need to see that continue. I would almost say that the, the conditions that we need to see in place to get inflation down are, are coming into place, and that would be grow, growth meaningfully below trend. It would be a labor market that's loosening. It would be goods uh, pipelines getting healthier and healthier and that kind of thing. They're, they're, the things are in place that we need to see, but the process of that actually working on inflation is going to take some time. Hmm. Nick. <clears throat> Nick Tamaros of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Chair Powell, what's the value in, in pausing and signaling future hikes versus uh, just hiking now? I mean, not to be flippant, but I don't lose weight just by buying a gym membership. I have to actually go to the gym. <laughs> ooh, you know, ooh, that was you know, filthy. Damn, Wall Street yeah. Journal. That was filthy. <laughs> Shout out to Nick. I'm going to get a Don DeMarco for that. <laughs> Sheesh. Nick out here dropping facts. Hikes versus... Uh, just hiking now. I mean, not to be flippant, but I don't lose weight just by buying a gym membership. I have to actually go to the gym. 16 of your colleagues put down a higher year-end 23 rate today. A majority of you think you're going to have to go up by 50 basis points this year. So why not just uh, rip off the Band-Aid and raise rates today? So the uh, first I would say that the, the question of speed is a separate question from the question from the from from that of level. Okay, so um, and I think if you look at the SEP, that is our estimate, our individual, it's really accumulation of our individual estimates of how far to go. I, I mentioned how, how we got to those numbers. In terms of speed, it's, it's what I said at the beginning, which is speed was very important last year. As we get closer and closer to the destination, and according to the SEP, we're not so far away from the destination in most people's accounting, uh, it's, it's reasonable, it's common sense to go a little slower, just as it was reasonable to go from 75 basis points to 50 to 25 at every meeting. And so uh, the committee thought overall that it was appropriate to moderate the pace, if only slightly. And there are benefits to that. So that gives us more information to make decisions. We may try to make better decisions. I think it allows the economy a little more time to adapt as we, as we make our decisions going forward. And we'll get to see, uh, you know, we haven't really, we don't know the full extent of, of the consequences of the banking turmoil that we've seen we, we it would be uh, there it is right there that's what they're really working right there that's what they're really worried about the banks mm -hmm. they got scared with the banks they raised rates too fast how did that happen they caused a problem and then this is the other key fact they, they took all these mortgage-backed securities right i would i'm guesstimating probably they're going to take about a trillion to two trillion by the time that we're all out of the woods on this and then on top of that, right, they're going to start lowering interest rates. And now those trillions of dollars of, of bonds they just took that were underwater are not going to be priced positive. And then they're going to um, – there's a good chance of the, when there actually is a profit at the Fed, after, after expensive of actually running the Fed, they then send the profits over to the Treasury. So there might be, there might be a little bit of government funding from the, um, all the, all the uh, middle, uh, middle, uh, middle – I guess middle to small and banks they just wrecked, basically. Decisions going forward, and we'll get to see uh, – 
you know, we haven't really, we don't know the full extent of, of the consequences of the banking turmoil that we've seen. We, we, it would be early to see those, but we don't know what the extent is. We'll have some more time to see that unfold. I mean, it's, a, it's just the idea that we're trying to get this right. And uh, th this is, uh, if you think of the two things as separate variables, then I think, I think that the, the skip, I shouldn't call it a skip, the, the decision um, uh, makes sense. I know you said July is live with only one uh, June employment, uh, with only the June employment and the CPI report for June uh, due to be released before the July meeting. You get the ECI after, you get the senior loan officer survey after, you get some bank earnings at the end of next month. What incremental information will the committee be using to inform their judgment on whether this is in fact a skip or a, a longer pause? Well, I think you're adding that to the, to the data that we've seen since the last meeting, too. We, you know, we, since we chose to maintain rates at this meeting, is it'll really be a three-month period of data that we can look at. And I think that's a full quarter, and I think you can, you can draw more conclusions from that than you come from any six-week six period. We'll look at those things. We'll also look at the evolving risk picture. We'll look at what's happening in the financial sector. We'll look at all the data, the evolving outlook, and we'll make a decision. Thanks for taking our questions. Gina Smilek, New York Times. You obviously, in your forecast, marked up the sort of path for growth, marked down the path for unemployment, marked up the path for inflation pretty notably. I wonder, you know, since March, what has changed to make you think that the economy is a lot more resilient and inflation is going to be a lot more stubborn? And given that, you know, why do you feel confident that this is as high as you're going to have to revise the federal funds rate, or do you think it's possible we could have even a higher than 5.6% terminal Ooh. by the end of this, this cycle? You know, I... Well, you, know, you saw that sour face? face? You saw that sour, that lemon face he just did? Damn, Jerome. That was, that was wild, revise bro. Revise the federal funds rate, or do you think it's possible we could have even a higher than 5.6% terminal by the end of this, this cycle? <laughs> that's the meme you guys right that's there the meme right there click that's the meme right there damn well i guess i'll wreck the market <laughs> you know i i mean on the first part uh i just think we're following the data and also the outlook the economy is the labor market i think has surprised many if not all analysts over the last couple of years with its extraordinary resilience really uh, and um, it, it's, it's just remarkable, and that's really, uh, if you think about it, that's what's driving. It's, it's job creation, it's, it's uh, wages moving up, it's... it's so, so this is why I said it's possible, like, now, the lower end is, like, the bare minimum is 5.7. We could go up as high as 6.5. I mean, 6.25, sorry. 20, 6 and... God damn it. <laughs> 625 basis points, whatever the hell that is, right? 6.25. Um, on the on the federal um, numbers, right? So that's the top end. More than likely, we're probably going to we're probably going to be just at probably like five point seven five. But I I, could, I wouldn't be shocked if it was six percent. But the, the one thing that I have that I like has kept me up at night, which is good and bad, is that let's just say they do pause and the market starts running hot. And I'm talking equities. You know, maybe maybe they bump up five percent, six percent, and then crypto runs up a lot. What happens if Bitcoin, Ethereum, let's just say Bitcoin as an example, runs up to back to $34,000 or runs up to maybe like low 40000 and the market's getting red hot? Does, would, they, would they start then, you know, would they just decide to do just do a couple multiple ones or just do a 50 out of nowhere? 
it's all possible just to quash it down mm-hmm. basically so if we if we see a dramatic increase in in crypto for some strange reason you guys i would probably take some profits and go a little more heavier into cash and then we'll rebuy back when it goes lower major key supporting spending which in turn is supporting hiring and it's it's really the engine it seems that is that is driving the economy so it's it's really the the data uh, in terms of uh, you know we we always write down at these meetings what we think the appropriate terminal rate will be at the end of this year <clears throat> that's that's how we do it um, it's based on uh, our our own individual assessments of what the most likely path of the economy is it can be it can actually in reality wind up being lower or higher and i you know there's really no way to know but it's it's it is it's it's what people think as of today and as the as the data come in it, it can move around during the intermediate period it could wind up back in the same place but it really will be data driven i can't I can't tell you that that I, I ever have a lot of confidence that we can see where the where the federal funds rate will be that mm. far in advance. Hi, Miguel with the Onion, Mr. Uh, Chairman. <laughs> thanks for my question. Um, you had said back at the end of May that you thought risks were getting closer to being into balance. Is that still the case, or has your mind changed about the balance of risks out there? And also, could you give us an idea of what would be a sufficiently restrictive funds rate? Is the obviously the current rate, according to the committee, is not sufficiently restrictive. Is it five six? Is it six? Where's or sufficiently restrictive? Thank you. Um, you know, I I would say again that I think that over time, the balance of risks as we've moved from very you know from interest rates at effectively zero now to five percentage points with with an SEP calling for additional hikes. I think we've moved much closer to our destination, which is that sufficiently restrictive rate. Uh, and I think that means, by, almost by definition, that the, that the, the risks of, of sort of overdoing it and under, underdoing it are, are, are getting closer to being in balance. I still think, and my, my colleagues agree, that, that the risks to inflation are to the upside still. So we don't, we don't think we're there with inflation yet because we're just looking at the data. You know, if you look at the... Uh, um, at the full range of, of inflation data, particularly the core data, you just you just aren't seeing a lot of progress over the last year. Headline, of course, inflation has come down materially, but as you know, we look at core as a better indicator of where inflation overall is going. Sufficiently, so I think you know what what we'd like to see is credible evidence that inflation is topping out and then beginning to come down. That's that's what we want to see. Of course, that's what we want to see, and um, I, I think. It, 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 it's also we understand that there are lags, but remember that it's it's more than a year since financial conditions began tightening. I think it's I think the reason we're we're comfortable pausing is that we are still much of the tightening took place over last summer and later into the year, and I think it's it's reasonable to think that some of that may come into effect. So we're you know I think stretching out the, into a more moderate pace is appropriate to to allow you to make that judgment of sufficiency, you know more with more data over time. Hi, Chair Powell, Rachel Siegel from The Washington Post. Thanks for taking our questions. I wanted to ask further on the lag effects. When you're considering when you would hike again throughout the course of the year, are there things that you would expect to kick in as those lag effects come come into effect that would inform your decisions? Have you learned things over the past year that give you some sense of timeline for when to expect those lags to come into effect? Yeah. So it's a, it's a challenging um, 
thing in, in economics. It's, it's sort of standard thinking that monetary policy affects economic activity with long and variable legs. Uh, of course, these days, financial conditions begin to tighten well in advance of actual rate hikes. So if you, if you look back when we were lifting off, we started talking about lifting off. By the time we had lifted off the two-year, which is a pretty good estimate of where policy is going, had gone from 20 basis points to 200 basis points. So in that sense, tightening happens much sooner than it used to in a world where, where, where news was in newspapers and not, you know, not on, uh, on the wire. So that's, that's different. But it's still the case that what you see is interest-sensitive spending is affected very, very quickly, so yeah. housing and durable goods and things like that. But broader demand and spending and, and asset values and things like that, they just take longer. And you can pretty much find research to support whatever answer you would like on that. So yeah. there's not any certainty or agreement in the profession on how long it takes. So, you know, it, and that makes it challenging, of course. So we're, we're, we're looking at the calendar. We're, we're looking at what's happening in the economy. We're having to make these judgments. It's, again, it's one so, of the so main... So basically saying it's like... I mean, they're in a roundabout way, it's kind of saying they're really looking at asset prices, what they do. So if we get, we start getting a little bit of a run-up, and this is what I'm saying. is like if they do give us a hot boy summer, even if it's three weeks, three weeks in Cancun, right? Hot, what was it, Rolo, like the hot guy at the, at the phone cannon party? <laughs> if, they give, if they give us three weeks being the hot guy at the phone cannon party, right, for three weeks, and the market's great, really hot, everyone's happy, then that next meeting they would slam us down. I don't expect... I don't expect a rate hike on the next one, but I do expect one on the one afterwards with this new information here, right? Obviously, we I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of swinging at the piñata with my eyes closed right now. I, don't, I'm no, I know I'm making a Mexican. <laughs> I know I'm making a Mexican right there. But but all, all jokes aside, um, just off of the information, it seems that it, they're probably not going to increase rates on the next one, which is going to make people more bullish. So it all depends is like, um, let me let me take this down for one second. So... If we if we look real quickly right here, right on the uh, full streaming. So right now we've just had the June meeting, right? Which the number always comes out on the fourteenth on the on the second date. The next one is July twenty fifth and twenty sixth. So the twenty sixth is going to be when we actually get the we find out whether or not you know she's pregnant or not. And then more than likely that's not going to be the one. So the next one after that is September. That means there's nothing in August. So. This is more than likely where we're going to get the first raise. If I'm looking at this right now, this is probably so because that's enough lag time there to let the market get hot again and probably give their homies extra liquidity before they start really hurting the banks. So because I'm thinking, I'm thinking of this is like okay, we need to give the we need to give the friendlies some 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 sort of pump in the equities market in order for them to get cash out. So when we crash the market down with these next increases and stuff, then. Um, our friends could survive and then they can gobble up bank assets, everything, houses and everything that we need. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now in my gut and in my heart and in my solar plexus. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be September, I would say would probably be an increase and then probably no, probably October, November and they stop the increases after. I think December we get nothing. Now, it just all depends how hot we went, right? Because I mean, right, if we don't get it in July, that means we got three months of no increases. Interesting. Well, actually, two months, but still. Well, it's basically three months if you look at it, because it's it's July fourteenth, so it's like half a month here, the full month. Yeah, it's like it's damn. It's like two and a half months. Two and a half months. Feels like money. Uh, <laughs> two and a half months of basically nothing. 
A lot of shit can happen, dude. That's a that's a, that's almost ninety days playing time. That's that's a, that's that's game time. Man. That's hot boy summer. There's some hot boy summer summer. All we need is three four weeks. Three four weeks. <sighs> Nothing but net, man. Meme coins come back alive. Hex and Pulse Chainers just pumping out of control. Hulkamania going wild. RH returns. He starts street. No. no. <laughs> I mean, but but think about it. I mean, this is when people like things can get a little kind of hot, right? I mean, if you also notice too, there's also quite a lot of Hex and Pulse Chain projects that haven't even launched yet. Wonder what they're waiting for. Might be the time where we start getting a lot of Mintras, Liquid Loans, Power Cities, Bank X. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got cancer. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. We get, start getting these, these pulse chain projects and we start getting some action on the. Because I think it's really just going to be mostly L1s moving a little bit. I don't really see. The only L1 I see where their coins could pump underneath it is just pulse chain. But we could see some moves in the main L1 tokens. We can see moves in Bitcoin, Ethereum, meme coins, and I would say pulse chain. These are the only narrative coins. Uh, maybe a little bit into GameFi, tiny bit. Maybe maybe Alluvium or something. There's like the game starting to come out or something. But this is this is forecast wise what I see could actually pump. And obviously we take a little. We would probably take a little profit. Cool. Sounds good. All right, let's go back. Full screen, me please. And here I will also send you guys this right here. I'll copy and paste it and send it to you guys in a minute. But all right, let's get back to Jerome Powell. Reasons why. It makes sense to go at a slightly more moderate pace now as we seek that, that uh, ultimate. I can't point to um, that ultimate uh, endpoint. I can't point to a specific data point. I think we'll see it when we see inflation, you know, really, really flattening out reliably and then starting to soften. I think we'll know that, we're, that it's working. And ideally, by, by, by taking a little more time, we won't go well past the, the, the level where we need to go. I was curious if you That's could right, give Herc. us an update on what you're saying. Your kids don't need braces. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't silver tooth out here, dude. I feel, dude. I'll pause the stream for one second, man. There's this guy called Silver Tooth. It's become like a meme in the community. It's not fun. If it's really real, that's not funny. Damn, homie, take fucking profits. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. There's times in the market where we're running hot. Take a little off the table. There was a time I was on a yacht, <laughs> a crypto dork. Turbo dork. Top Mexican, right? Sitting on a yacht with a bunch of turbo dorks. And I was thinking, we are too happy. I'm a crypto dork on a yacht in Miami where I should be somewhere in a dungeon in a basement. Hmm. Rolls are getting flipped. I sold some coins. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to our regular scheduled programming. Let's go back. Really flattening out reliably and then starting to soften. I think we'll know that we're that it's working. And ideally, by 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 taking a little more time, we won't go well past the the, the level where we need to go. I was curious if you could give us an update <clears throat> on what you're seeing on credit tightening since the mm -hmm. bank incidents from March and how you're teasing that out apart from these lag effects. So it's, it's too early still to, to, to try to assess the full extent of what that might mean. Uh, and, you know, that's something we're going to be watching, of course. And, you know, if, if we were to see um, what, what we would view as significant tightening beyond what would normally be expected because of, of the, this channel, then, you know, we would factor that into account on, on – uh, in, in making rate decisions. So that's um, that's how we think about it. Let's go to Craig. 
Uh, thanks, Chris Rugeber at Associated Press. Uh, you mentioned that many of the trends are in place that you want to see uh, core services X housing has come in pretty low in the past couple of months. Uh, and as you noted, a significant portion of core inflation is now housing prices. And then we've had some quirks in used car prices. So given that these trends are in place, I guess I'm sort of asking the flip uh, side of Nick's question, why uh, signal additional rate hikes? Aren't things headed in the direction you need? Why not simply uh, give it even more time or uh, I mean, it's surprising to see so much hawkishness in the dots, uh, given what we're seeing recently. Yeah, so, you know, we've, <clears throat> remember, we've, um, we're two and a half years into this, or two and a quarter years into this, and forecasters, including Fed forecasters, have consistently thought that inflation was about to turn down, and, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, typically forecasted that it would, and been wrong. So I think if you I think if you look at the at core PCE inflation overall, look at it over the last six months, you're just not seeing a lot of progress. It's running and it's running at a level you know over four and a half percent, far above our our target, and not really you know moving down. We want to see it moving down decisively. That's all. We are you know of course we are going to get inflation down to two percent over time. We we don't want to do we, we want to do that with the minimum damage we can to the economy. Of course. But we have to get inflation down to 2%, and we will. And we just don't see that yet. So hence you see today's policy decision, both, both to write down further rate hikes by the end of this year, but also to, you know, to take, uh, to, to moderate At the end of this year. the pace with which we're moving. Uh, quick follow-up. I mean, the last press conference you mentioned you didn't see wages driving inflation and, you know, there was some research from the San Francisco <coughs> Fed suggesting wages aren't necessarily a key driver, uh, but you've talked about the labor market today and the need for softening. Can you give us a little more specifically of how you see the tight labor market driving inflation at this point? Thank you. Right. So um, I, I'm not going to comment on, on any particular paper, but I, I would say that the I think the overall picture is that at the beginning in, you know, early 2021, Inflation was really. And look, I'm not gonna lie. Like, you're, like you guys are right about the camera. Someone bumped in the camera twice. It shook the whole thing. It's like filmed on iPhone. <laughs> Coming from very strong demand for largely for goods. People were still at home. Uh, they had money in the bank and they wanted to spend. They spent a lot on goods. And of course, at the same time, and because of that high demand to some extent, supply chains got all snarled up. So prices went way up. Inflation went way up. But that was the in, the origin. And it wasn't really particularly about. Uh, the labor market or wages, but as you as you move into through tw twenty one into twenty two and now in twenty three, I think many many analysts believe that it will be important uh, an important part of getting inflation down, especially in the non housing services sector, uh, to getting wage inflation back to a level that is sustainable that is consistent with two percent inflation. We actually have seen wages broadly move down, but just at a quite gradual pace. So, and that's, you know, that's a little bit of the, uh, the finding of the Bernanke um, paper with uh, Blanchard of a few weeks ago, which is very consistent with, um, with what I, I would think. Michael McKee from Bloomberg Radio and uh, Television. You said in the past that you don't like to surprise markets. It's kind of been the Fed's view. Uh, markets should have an idea of what you're going to do before you go in. You also said a number of times that it would take 
a while to bring inflation down. You reiterated that again today, and that we would get to a point where inflation could be sticky. So I'm wondering, as we go into the next meetings, how Wall Street or others should look at your reaction function. What will you be reacting to, time or data? In other words, if nothing much changes, if we're looking at the same sort of labor market, the same sort of inflation levels in July or in September uh, or November, uh, will you move because you've said you feel you need to? Is it time that's going to require additional movement, or would it be a reversal in inflation? So I don't want to deal with, with hypotheticals about different ways data might move out. So we, you know, we, of course, we're, we're not, we don't go out of our way to surprise markets or the public. At the same time, our main focus has to be on getting the policy right, and that's, that's what we're doing here, and that's what we'll do for the upcoming meetings. I will say the July meeting will be live, and uh, we'll just have to see. I think you'll, you'll see the data. You'll hear Fed people talking about it, and, and markets will have to make a, make a judgment. Well, do you think inflation is likely to continue coming down based on the lags and based on your threat of additional movement? Or are we going to be in a period where we're not going to know what's happening? You know, I, I think you, if you look at, uh, if, you, if you just look at, I'll just point you to the forecast. So uh, inflation is running, core PCE inflation is running at about four and a half, a little higher than four and a half percent. And the, the median FOMC participant thinks it'll go down to 3.9 on a 12-month basis. This is God by the good. end of this year. So that's expecting pretty substantial progress. That's, that's, that's a pretty significant decline for half a year. So that, that's, that, that's the forecast. Um, you know, we'll, we, we do try to be transparent in our reaction function. We're, we're committed to getting inflation down, and uh, that's the number one thing. So that's how I think about it. Um, Victoria Guido with Politico. Could you talk about the balance sheet and how you're thinking about it? Um, what would, what are you looking for to judge whether we're approaching reserve scarcity and is Treasury issuance going to affect that? Um, also, are you considering lowering the RRP rate in order to take some pressure off banks? So let me say, first of all, on the Treasury part of it, if I can talk about that and then go back to the balance sheet. Um, so on that, um, of course, we've been very focused on that for a couple of months, as everyone has. Treasury has laid out its borrowing, borrowing plans publicly. Borrowing? Holy shit. Treasury part of it. Jerome, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> They're fucking boring. And then go back to the balance sheet. Um, so on that, um, of course, we've been very focused on that for a couple of months, as everyone has. Treasury has laid out its borrowing, borrowing plans publicly. Uh, I think we all saw I saw the Secretary's comments yesterday to the effect that Treasury has consulted widely with market participants about how to avoid market disruption and that they're going to watch carefully for that. So that's that's from the Treasury, which actually sets the, you know, the, the, the borrowings. At the Fed, uh, we'll be monitoring market conditions carefully as the Treasury refills the, the TGA. The adjustment process is very likely to involve both the reduction in the RRP facility and also in reserves. It's really hard to say at the at the beginning of this uh, which will be uh, which will be greater. Um, uh, we are starting at a very high level of reserves uh, and still elevated RRP to uh, take up for that matter. So we don't think reserves are likely to become scarce in the near term or even over the course of the year. Um, so that's, 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 the, that's the, the Treasury part of the answer. Um, we will, of course, continue to monitor um, 
conditions in, money, in money markets, and we're prepared to make adjustments to make sure that, that uh, monetary policy transmission works. Was there another part of your question? <laughs> uh, yeah. What, um, <clears throat> are you considering lowering the RRP rate? to help take some pressure off banks. So we, we have a number of, no, I would say, um, the RRP Now, I'm going to give him a lot of slack here because literally if you, you answer, people ask us sometimes some really complex questions, and then you spend so much of your brain power trying to answer the first part that you're like, wait, what was the second? <laughs> <laughs> this has happened to me many times. So, you know, no, no shot on Jerome here. Uh, yeah, what, um, are you considering... She kind of had a little attitude. <laughs> this lady's got a little attitude to Jerome, man. Jerome could laser her in a second, bro. <laughs> monitor um, conditions in, money, in money markets, and we're prepared to make adjustments to make sure that, that uh, monetary policy transmission works. Was there another part of your question? <laughs> uh, yeah. What, um, <clears throat> are you considering lowering the RRP rate to help take some pressure off banks? So we, we have a number of, no, I would say, um, the RRP doesn't look like it's, it's pulling money out of, out of the banking system. It's actually been shrinking here lately. Uh, so I, I don't think uh, that's not something something we've we've thought about a lot over time that doesn't really look like that's that's something that we would do i think it's i think it's a tool that we have if we want to use it we can there are other tools we can we can use to address uh, money market issues but i wouldn't say that that's something that's likely that we would do in the near term janelle marte with bloomberg um, have you seen sufficient cooling in the housing market to bring inflation down? For example, how does the recent rebound affect your forecast, and how does it factor into monetary policy? So certainly housing, uh, very interest sensitive, and it's the first place really, or one of the first places uh, that's either helped by low rates or, or uh, that is held back by, by higher rates, and we certainly saw that over the course of the last year. We now see housing putting in a bottom and maybe even moving up a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, we're watching that situation carefully. I do think uh, we, we... That was a cap. What are we talking about? We're increasing interest rates even more. And then if you increase interest rates more, you're going to have more bank problems. Then you, then you have more supply on the market. We will see rents, rents and, and uh, house prices filtering into... I guess the other way you could talk about it is like we're seeing uh, market. I mean, we're seeing housing possibly bottom. <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> the reaper has come. We now see housing putting in a bottom and maybe even moving up a little bit. Um, you know, we're watching that situation carefully. I do think uh, we 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 will see rents rents and and uh, house prices filtering into into uh, housing services inflation and. Uh, I, I don't see them coming up quickly. I, I do see them coming, kind of wandering around at a relatively low level now, and uh, that's appropriate. Do you think you'll have to target that with further rate increases? Well, I think we, we look at everything. We don't just look at housing. So I think, um, you know, the way it works is individual participants sit in their offices all over the country, and they write down their, their forecast, and including their most likely forecast, including their rate forecast, and then they send it in on Friday afternoon and we accumulate it and then we publish it for you so that's how the, that's how they do that well i don't know that housing is 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 itself going to be driving the rates picture but it's part of it thank you for taking the question um, mr chairman edward lawrence with fox business so i want to go back to comments you made about um in the past about unsustainable fiscal path the cbo 
projects the federal deficit to be 2.8 trillion. Wait, this is about to be some heat right now. This is going to be heat. You guys, pay attention. This is, <laughs> this is about to be some heat right now. That's with Fox Business. So I want to go back to comments you made about um, in the past about unsustainable fiscal path. The CBO projects the federal deficit to be 2.8 trillion. Uh, in 10 years. The CBO also says that federal debt will be $52 trillion by 2033. At what point do you talk more firmly with lawmakers about fiscal responsibility? Because I'm assuming monetary policy... Damn! Damn! He said, that needs to come out and hit the government! <laughs> like, are you when, talking to him or not? When are you going to let these fucking teenagers get that belt? And the, <laughs> what are you giving them that whipping? They're spending too much. The credit card is getting... Shinged! So I think right now we're I think right now I think we're at twenty nine trillion dollars. So he said by tw by the end of twenty twenty three we'll be at fifty two trillion. Bro, damn. <sighs> I mean, look, like all sh even though people get mad at it, like Jerome is like Jerome Powell is kind of like the grown up in the room. He really, really is, and he like the reason. I one of the reasons I really believe why we ended up having the. Um, we didn't end up having a, a, a government shutdown was because Jerome Powell said it twice in front of Congress. I'm going to say a real ghetto and then I'm going to say a proper. All right. <laughs> if y'all fuck around with this shit, I can't save y'all hoes. Now, let me say it proper. If you guys choose to close the government, it is not going to be in the power of the Federal Reserve to bail out the United States economy. Ted can't go burr. Basically, the, the Fed can't go burr, but the, the burr will not save the, the, the crazy crash that will happen if you guys close the economy down or close the government down. That's how serious. He told them that twice to their faces. And I think, and I, like, it's, it's, you got to remember, like, you, you know, everyone's paying burr political, but he was like, he kind of, like, stepped out of that political set. And he's like, yo, you guys, you better not, you guys better stop fucking around. This is serious right now. If you guys don't come to a deal in proper time, we can't land this shit. Don't fuck around. CBO projects the federal deficit to be 2.8 trillion uh, in 10 years. The CBO also says that federal debt will be 52 trillion by 2033. At what point do you talk more firmly with lawmakers about fiscal responsibility? Because I'm assuming monetary policy cannot handle alone the inflation or keep that inflation in check with the higher level spending. I don't do that. That's really not my job. We we. We, we hope and expect that uh, other policymakers will respect our independence on, on monetary policy. And um, we don't see ourselves as, uh, as, you know, the judges of appropriate fiscal policy. I will say, and many of my predecessors have said, that we are on an unsustainable fiscal path and, and that needs to be addressed over time. But I think trying to get into, uh, uh, into that with, uh, with lawmakers would be, would be kind of... Uh, inappropriate given our independence and our need to stick to our netting. Is there any conversation then about the Federal Reserve financing some of that debt that we're seeing coming down the pipe? No. <laughs> Under no circumstances. Damn! She said no. Courtney. So that's a maybe. <laughs> <laughs> wow, dude, that's some pretty stern talking, actually. Holy shit, I need to run that back. That's so insane hearing him say all that. ...have said that we are on an unsustainable fiscal path and, and that needs to be addressed over time. But I think trying to get into, uh, uh, into that with, uh, with lawmakers would be, would be kind of uh, inappropriate given our independence and our need to stick to our netting. Is there any conversation then about the Federal Reserve financing some of that debt that we're seeing coming down the pike? No, under no circumstances. 
Now, th- this is really important because we had Fed now coming to you in, by 2025. Fed, so what what could be happening? I'm using Starbucks, Starbucks here. <laughs> What's going on is that, all right, they're not going to tell the government what to do, but what they're going to do is the closer you are to the money, the better, right? So what they're doing is they're getting, they're, they're going to have a lot of banks go under. It's going to be a more centralized banking system in America. Um, they're already closing the gates a little bit on on some of the crypto stuff, and then it's going to get loosened up and stuff eventually. But still, uh, what's going on is effectively they're going to have much more eyes on the dollars and the money, and then in the future, it, it could be it could be sort of thing where the government fails, and then it's really the central bank, the central bank or the federal the Federal Reserve who ends up controlling everything, yeah. which is just an amalgamation of all the main banks in the United States. Thanks for taking our uh, questions, uh, Chair Powell. Um, so looking at the SEP, it looks like uh, GDP for this year was raised significantly, your forecast for GDP this year. Uh, the unemployment rate, meanwhile, was pulled downward. And so should we take that as a sign that the committee is more confident uh, about the prospects of a soft landing, um, at least more, uh, at least as it relates to what you were expecting in, in March? You know, I... <clears throat> I would just say it this way, that I continue to think, and this really hasn't changed, that there is a path to uh, getting inflation back down to 2 percent without uh, having to see the kind of sharp downturn and, and large losses of employment that we've seen in so many past instances. It's, it's possible. A, in a way, a strong labor market uh, is, uh, that, that gradually cools could, could aid that along. It could aid that along. But I, I guess I want to come back to the, the main thing, which is, though, simply this. We, we see the committee, as you can see from the SEP, the committee is completely unified in the need to get inflation down to 2 percent, and will do whatever it takes to get it down to 2 percent over time. That is our plan. And, uh, you know, we, we understand that allowing inflation to get entrenched into the, in the U.S. economy is the thing that we cannot, cannot allow to happen for the benefit of today's workers and families and businesses, but also for the future. Getting price stability back and, and restored will benefit generations of people as long as it's sustained, and it really is the bedrock of the economy, and, and you should understand that that is our top priority. Just a quick follow-up on that. Um, I'm just a little confused because you said the committee will do whatever it takes to get inflation down over time, but when I look at the SCP, uh, inflation is still projected to be elevated next year, but the Fed funds rate is lower than where it is now. Can you help me understand that? Sure. So, um, you know, if you look two and three years out with, with the forecast, first of all, I wouldn't I wouldn't put too much weight on forecasts even one year out because they're, they're so highly uncertain. But what they're showing is that mm. as inflation comes down in the in the forecast. If you don't lower interest rates, then real rates are actually going up, right? So it, just to maintain a real rate, the nominal rate at that point two years out, let's say, should come down just to maintain real rates. And, if, and actually, you know, since we, we're, we're probably going we, to we're, we're, we're having real rates that are going to have to be meaningfully positive uh, and significantly so for us to get inflation down, that probably means that, that that certainly means that that it will be appropriate to cut rates at such time as inflation is coming down really significantly. And again, we're talking about a couple years. So, so he's kind of saying that um, once they increase the rates, they may wait a while to actually start cutting. 
because they need like just like all right so since we have a 5.25 percent interest rate right now right banks should be paying you for for um and for your savings account at least that much or more but it took a long time for that to happen so what he's what he's kind of saying is like we need to hold the rate there for a while to let the rates kind of catch up to that point and basically allow like the like basically you know mortgages and everything else to kind of hit that level and above and stuff because usually you know with mortgage rates or anything they're they're hitting the fed fund rate plus extra vig on top of it so um then they'll start the cutting so once the the thing goes down it t- like as they lower rates the rates on some of these other things don't go down as fast so then that that's uh that'll keep lowering the inflation down and stuff and then eventually the rates will start slowly coming down but by then people have already gotten shocked and they're kind of like skittish about it and stuff so yeah. Out. I think, as anyone can see, not a single person on the committee wrote down a rate cut this year, nor do I think it is uh, at all likely to be appropriate, if you think about it. Uh, inflation has not really moved down. It has it not uh, so far reacted much to our, to our existing rate hikes, and so we're going to have to keep at it. Sorry, thank you. Hi, Chapel. Julie Chabanas, AFP News Agency. Um, the May job uh, report showed a rebound in May in uh, black rockers and pro- unemployment. She's French. I mean, I already don't trust her. <laughs> Hi, Chapel. Oh, Julie News Agency. Um, the May job uh, report showed a rebound in May in uh, black rockers and pro- unemployment. Mm. Um, is it consistent with the Fed's maximum employment mandate? Are, are you worried about that, about this rebound? I'm sorry, what? So we are, <laughs> of course, um, worried about... Uh, there, there are long-standing difference, differences in racial and ethnic groups across, uh, across our labor market. That's a factor that wait, we, what? we can't really address. Wait, wait, homie, oh, he just went into racial groups out of nowhere? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? He basically said, like, he's basically saying the most corporate way. I don't understand what you just said, so I'm going to start talking about race groups. <laughs> what the fuck was that, dude? Holy shit. Unemployment. Um, is it consistent with the Fed's maximum employment mandate? Are, are you worried about that, about this rebound? So we are, of course, um, worried about... Uh, there, there are long-standing differences in racial and ethnic groups across uh, across our labor market. How do we jump from that to that? <laughs> what, what are we talking? What? What just happened right now? <laughs> that we don't, we can't really address with our tools, but we do consider that when we're thinking about what constitutes maximum employment. It is for us a broad and inclusive goal, um, and so we do watch that. But remember. Uh, all unemployment, including black unemployment, has been bouncing around right near historic lows, right. historic modern lows here. So we're still talking about, I mean, what is as strong a labor market as we've seen in, you know, a half century here in the United States. So overall unemployment of 3.7 percent is, is, is three-tenths higher than it was. At, at May. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I don't think he understood her at all, too. 
And he just pulled out black unemployment out of nowhere. That where did in that question? Did, like, were we talking about racial? What? <laughs> what are we talking about right now? The employment uh, thing, but that is uh, what's it called for minorities? I think the program she referred to is some minority fairness in the. Pro I literally didn't even hear. Dude, damn, her, dude, her English is bad. I'm sorry, bro. Like both me and Jerome were like, what? <laughs> Franklin. <laughs> Franklin, my boy. <laughs> oh shit, dude to be at the last uh, uh, a month ago, but still it's extraordinarily low. Uh, and so it's a very, very tight labor market. Thank you. I want to follow up uh, first a little bit just on the rent question on housing. We heard Governor Waller talk about how we haven't quite seen the slowdown in rents show up in CPI yet. And we did hear Governor Waller talk about how an uptick in housing might mean. Yo, I, I ain't going to lie, though. Governor Waller does sound have that's nice. Governor <laughs> Governor Justin Waller does Governor have like a Waller. fucking ring to it. I ain't gonna lie, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> Red pill coming soon. Governor Waller talk about how we, we, I'll back up. We haven't quite seen the slowdown in rents show up in CPI yet, and we did hear Governor Waller talk about how an uptick in housing might mean that there's not going to be as much relief coming or a shorter uh, bit of relief than we thought. Can you talk about how you're thinking about that and how that played into today's outcome? I wouldn't say so. That's you know, as a factual matter, that's correct. We do need to see you know rents bottom out here, or at least stay quite low, um, in terms of their increases, because we want we want the um, you know we want inflation to come down, and uh, rental uh, is is a very large part of the CPI, about a third, and it's about half of that for the PCE. So it's important, and uh, so we're something that we're watching very carefully. It's part of the overall picture. I wouldn't say it's the decisive part, but take a step back. What you see is look at look at core inflation over the past six months, year. You're just not seeing a lot of progress, not the kind of progress we want to see, and uh, that that's it's hard to avoid that. And uh, you know, the committee people in the committee, the median uh, went up significantly, so that the median uh, participant now thinks that core PCE inflation on a 12-month basis will be 3.9 percent this year. So once again, every year for the past three years, it's gone up over the course of the year, and that's doing that again. So we see that, and uh, we see that inflation forecasts are coming in low again, and we see that that, that tells us that we need to do more. And so we're, that's why you see the SEP with where it is. Could you also talk briefly about your outlook for wages and given the recent <clears throat> slowdown in core services, excluding housing, how far you think wages might need to fall? in order to, to get inflation back in line? So wages will continue to increase. So we, we, you know, what we're talking about is having wage increases still at a very strong level, but at a level that's consistent with 2% inflation over time. And so I, I think um, we've seen some progress. All, all of the major measures of wages have, have moved down from extremely elevated, not extremely, but highly elevated levels a year or so ago, and they're, they're moving back down, but, but quite gradually. He literally earlier in the video did say that wages were coming down. But <laughs> yeah, he legitimately did say that. Maybe he's thinking about I me mean, because the wages that really went crazy were the tech sector wages. Yeah. Let's just be fair. And, the, and those blockchain developers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, no, but all, all jokes aside, yeah, literally, like um, the wages that really did substantially increase on, uh, especially during COVID and everything like that, was basically tech jobs. It was tech jobs and startups and stuff where those, those wages were at like obscene, basically, and crazy. Most middle American, most like blue collar guys, I mean, they maybe just started making like 25, 
50% more just during a good year. That's normal and when, you, when you're running a small business during good years and stuff. So it doesn't really make sense and stuff. So I'm guessing he's probably more or less thinking about, especially with like the banking collapses that just happened recently, it was probably more about on the startup and tech space and the blockchain place than I would actually say for the overall economy. Really? And, and this is live, by the way. And, um, you know, we want to see that, that process continue gradually. Of course, it's great to see uh, wage increases, particularly for people at the lower end of the income spectrum. But we want that as part of the process of getting inflation back down to 2%, which benefits everyone. I mean, inflation hurts those same people more than anyone else. People on a fixed income are hurt the worst and the fastest by high That's inflation. But then, but then here's, here's the kind of messed up part. Uh, so basically, the, the way the math worked out, um, Social Security was supposed to go bankrupt in 2030. Now, because they've because inflation's been so bad, they've had to increase. Um, there's like inflation upgrades or inflation increases to like the payments in order to protect you against inflation. Now we're going bankrupt in 2027. Wow. Incredible, right? Pretty <laughs> nice, huh? <laughs> so uh, that's another looming problem in the future and stuff. Let's see how they kick that can down the road. Because now it, it, that was 20, 30 years away. Now it's like, bro, we're like 40 year, four years, maybe five years away from uh, Social Security going bust. Yeah. Dang, son. Thank you so much, Chair Powell. Greg Robb from MarketWatch. I just wondered if the committee has talked at all about the labor market and, and there's strikes now in Hollywood and now the United Auto Workers are talking about a possible strike. Jeez. I mean, aren't workers... They, we have some workers have power now and are going to be seeking higher wages. Does that come up in your discussions? Thanks. So the topic of wages in the labor market and um, dynamics in the labor market could is about as central a topic to our discussions as as anything. I mean, it's it's very labor economics, you know, and the labor market are utterly central. You know, it's half of our mandate. So we spend a lot of time talking about that. I think. Um, you know, we there are structural issues that are really not for the Fed, and so we don't spend a lot of time. Although we take notice of, of what's going on, but we're not you know we're not involved in discussions or debates over over strikes and things like that. Uh, but we you know we, we look and we see what's going on, and you know we're making judgments about what it will take to get inflation down to two percent in the aggregate. And as I said. Don't think that was about, I didn't, most folks would say now, it wasn't really about that, about wages at the beginning. And it's becoming more about that as we, as we get into uh, really service sector inflation, which is the part of the economy where we have seen the least progress. Yeah, the Hollywood, um, the Hollywood writers are on strike right now, which is great for me because I'm coming out with a movie. <laughs> <laughs> she, the best horror movie that's going to come out this year, you guys. May possibly next year. But... Um, Hell yeah, man. Be sure to check it out, man. We got a full-length feature film movie in the horror genre coming to a theater near you at some point. <laughs> but um, and in terms of the automotive strike stuff that's going on, um, I, I would probably, I mean, let me tell you this, right? What's probably going on, too, is because you're starting, um, we're starting, the rugging is happening from China. We're starting to have a lot of these auto plants moving to India as well as coming back over here to the state side. Um, you know, we're starting to have a lot of them come to Mexico, and I think that's the reason why some people are pissed off. 
But we are having the Japanese through the trade deal opening. Like the Japanese are super smart. What they do is like, all right, cool. Okay, we need to get dollars. How do we do it? How about we just build factories in your country and hiring your own people and then we send some of our profits back home, but we're hiring your people. Okay. So, I mean, the, I think the biggest plant is a Toyota plant, I think. And I think the Tesla plant's trying to be the biggest one yeah. now, basically. So we are having plants built and stuff. It's kind of crazy to me that the, there's going to be an auto strike, but it probably has to do with cost of living and stuff like that, I would imagine. But, uh, especially out in Texas. Yeah, especially out in Texas and stuff. All these goddamn Californians, man, taking my land. Yee-hee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's, it's like... Uh, Man, you're like, look at them hands, man. Like, you don't even work, man. <laughs> How do the mean? You go? got soft hands. Yeah, you, you got don't so- work 80 hours a, a day. You don't work 80 hours a day, man. I work so much, man. I miss my daughter's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so- I I was working so much. You see that new truck my boss has? I paid for that with my work. <laughs> you saw that? You saw that big pump? I missed it because I was working. It's like all concreted up hands. If you don't eat with hands like these, you're not a man. You're not a man. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah they're trying to get they're trying to do because like there is actually a lot of fact we're starting to have a lot of factories repatriating over and this is the reason why a lot of the cover-up of the covid stuff and everything was basically around moving our manufacturing base back over here so we can war around so we can war, so we can really war like that's what's going on so like we, we restructured nafta under trump and um Mexico's economy and I mean everyone's benefiting from like the, the trade agreements and stuff like that. So we're bringing more of our fat we're repatriating the higher end of the manufacturing back to the states. Yet we have in Taiwan somewhat. I don't know why, but we do apparently. And Force but we protection maybe. Uh, I guess yeah. It's kind of cra- it's kind of crazy. We're like let's let's have uh, most of our chip manufacturers right next right to next to one of our enemies. <laughs> no, nothing could go wrong. Possibly nothing could go wrong. We, let's put the trap house right next to the police station. I mean, come on. Yeah. But anyway, full screen it. Let's go. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mark Hamrick with Bankrate. Wondering what your thoughts are now about systemic risk now that we're about three months past the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. And also specifically, what are the risks associated with commercial real estate as well as non-bank finance? This is a good. This is a good question right now. Holy crap! Shout out to this dude. This is a good question. So we're about to get some meat potatoes right here. A banger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mark Hamrick with Bankrate. Wondering what your thoughts are now about systemic risk now that we're about three months past the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, and also specifically. What are the risks associated with commercial real estate as well as non-bank financials? And could you further elevate those risks with higher still rates, possibly for longer? Mm. So um, he just basically said with the real rate thing. So by us keeping the interest rate this high and chilling out for a minute, then the, the rest of the rates can actually catch up. Because some banks were still offering a little bit below, below, the, um, below average rates and stuff from what the Fed has and stuff, just because, I don't know, they're trying to get business, I would imagine. We're trying to think where to start. I'll start with commercial real estate. <clears throat> we, of course, were watching that situation very carefully. Uh, there's a substantial amount of commercial real estate in the banking system. A, a large part of it is in smaller banks. It's well distributed. Uh, to the extent it's well distributed, then then the system could could take losses. We do expect that there will be losses. 
but there'll be, there'll be banks that have concentrations, and those banks will experience larger losses. So we're well aware of that. We're monitoring it carefully. Oh, we just said losses um, and then more losses? Holy crap. I got to go back on that. Homie said, yeah, they're going to be some banks that take some losses, and they're going to be banks that are more concentrated and taking even more losses. <laughs> like, like one pain train, and you got to take you know, it to the next, too. To the next pain train. <laughs> Real estate in the banking system, a, a large part of it is in smaller banks. It's well distributed. Uh, to the extent it's well distributed, then then the system could could take losses. We do expect that there'll be losses, but there'll be there'll be banks that have concentrations, and those banks will experience larger losses. So we're well aware of that. We're monitoring it carefully. Um, you know, it feels like it feels like something that will be around for some time, uh, as opposed to uh, you know something that will suddenly hit and and you know work its way into systemic risk. In terms of non-bank financials financial sector, um, there's been a ton of work and, you know, clearly in the, um, in the pandemic, it really was, uh, it was the non-bank financial sector where, where issues really arose and, you know, there's a lot of work going on in, with the administration, uh, in particular leading that uh, to try to address issues in the treasury market and, and uh, in all kinds of areas in the non-bank financial market. And, but, you know, our jurisdiction at the Fed is over banks actually bank holding companies and some banks. So that's that's really our main focus. Um, you know, in terms of um, the events of March, as I mentioned earlier, we will be carefully monitoring that situation. You know, our, our, our job generally involves worrying about a lot of things uh, that may go wrong, and that would include the banks. It might be hard for me to identify something that we don't worry about rather than that we do worry about. So we're watching those things very carefully. And as we see things uh, unfold as we see what's happening with credit conditions and uh, and also the, all the individual banks that are out there, you know, we'll be able to take, to the extent it's appropriate, we can take, uh, if there are macroeconomic implications, we can take that into account in our rate setting. And uh, so I guess that's what I would say. Do you risk further exacerbating those issues if you mm. get up to another 50 basis points mm. so that's and, and i was i guess i meant to address that by saying as we as we watch we'll see what's happening and if we if we're seeing the kind of um tightening of conditions that that, that you could be referring to then we can factor that because really we're we use our 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 rate tool is is you know is it really has macroeconomic purposes, so we'll we'll take that into account. Of course, we have responsibility for financial stability as well, and that also is a factor that we're always going to be considering. Thank you very much. Low Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! So uh, you can take it down now. So very very interesting right there, right? Like. This whole this all this was a runaround basically to say that yeah we're giving the banks a heads up that we're going to increase rates we might and we're going to keep rates at a steady pace so if that ends up happening right let, let's let's see oh shit share the screen again god damn it <laughs> <laughs> so right now like the next meeting is in July July twenty sixth is really where the date comes out I don't think there's going to be a rate hike there we're more than likely going to get it in September twentieth and then October. First, I mean, October. Wow, it's the last month of October. So I guess November first, really. So this is where we're going to have the two twenty-five basis point increases. Then from there, 
we're probably not going to have any cuts happen until I would imagine the third, like the beginning of the second quarter. I think beginning of the second quarter, maybe the middle of the second quarter, we finally start getting some rate hike cuts. After, and I really believe like the, the cuts won't start happening until after the Bitcoin happening. Because BlackRock wants all the Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> They scheming out here, man. They scheming, but um, yeah, you can definitely you can, yeah, you can take the screen down. So, it, it like so, it's really interesting. So all this all this was just really about basically alerting the banks. And you notice that he said the small banks. He was so he kind of just like pretty much said what we were going to say. Like the sm- they're basically going to cuck out the medium and small banks out, credit unions, credit unions, and all that stuff. Let them let them crash down. They're going to be gobbled up by the bigger banks, and then the rollout of the central bank digital currency coming out and the new world order. <laughs> Wait, hold up, hold up. Yeah, shout out to my boys, Fresh and Fit, going in the full on. <laughs> Yo, dude, I, they went crazy on that, but um, it. This is unwinding how we sit. Now, it's not the same sort of road. It's like the little bumps here and there, but it's all it's all leads, like all paths lead to this bullshit that they're trying to pull off right now. And in the end, I mean, I, I'm just tr- basically, they're kind of, it seems like they're basically trying to become more powerful than the government on the back end. Because effectively, if, if they're not really the government. They are, they're basically a private entity. And then they have control of the money supply. And then they have the Fed now, which is right next to your phone. I mean, they're basically even trying to cuck Apple out. And, and, to a greater extent, right? Like, here's some big things, right? 2027, 2028, we have, we, have, we have the official bankrupting of the, of the Social Security. Yikes. Next, BlackRock's been buying nonstop single-family homes. And let me tell you, let me tell you this, because commercial real estate is trash. Why is, real, why is commercial real estate trash? If, like, I could buy commercial real estate building and stuff for my business stuff, right? But they're, like, there's, not that many, there's not enough businesses right now uh, where they need those kind of buildings mm-hmm. anymore because most of your – outside of you – even me when I had uh, when I had my landscape business and stuff, yeah, we had our – I mean, we were basically at our trucks and residential properties. And stuff. Yeah. Eventually, when you get big enough, yeah, you do buy a place, but you buy one place. Yeah, you, you don't need brick and mortar. Yeah, you don't need brick and mortar as much. So what's going on is ready player one. Yeah. And let, let me explain why. Apple's coming out with a brand new headset for $3,500. You'll be all better cop. But the, this, headset, this headset that's going on, this is where we're heading. If you go watch Ready Player One, go watch Ready Player One. The world's heading towards that. It's not going to be as dark. It's not going to be as nice. Look but, at the ads. But, that, but that's, where we're, that's where we're heading towards. We are heading towards a world where um, you're going to be earning your money more online, all of us, doing some sort of jobs and stuff. And basically what's the property what's the segment of the real estate market that everyone needs residential homes it could be multifamily or it could be single family homes so what blackrock is doing is they're long term buying up the most valuable real estate on the planet which is single family homes and multifamily homes not not on main street but at the suburbs because later on when you're just at home with the visor on the new zoom era right you're you're going to pay your mortgage you're going to pay your rent payments mm-hmm. And that's where that's where, where those whole things heading and stuff. This is why this is why what's going on with that. And then from there, like okay, if it's all online and stuff, well, we better own a ton of Bitcoin just in case because if that ends up winning, so they're kind of hedging their bets along with like we'll let this asset class really appreciate, and then we have more capital to buy more stuff. And this is where we're heading. We're heading towards like a Ready Player One status and stuff like that. Now it's going to be all types of ways to get like crypto's going to die. No, it's going to morph. But we are, it's going to be a fight between crypto and the central bank digital currencies around the world. And it's going to be a tug and pull. So if you believe in freedom in America, get into crypto, buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum. 
buy hex get into your favorite cryptos man don't just get all into one coin have a portfolio of coins have stables and learn how to bank yourself because it's crazy if you don't if you don't if you don't control your own keys you don't control your destiny yes, period man and with that i want to say one last thing the crypto mindset meetup in las vegas is happening share screen is going to happen august 4th through the 5th be there or be square man it's 400 bucks all the all the money for the tickets is being used for the party and stuff like that. we're gonna have a ton of fun big networking event it's gonna happen in august and stuff right before the uh the meeting <laughs> right before the meeting and stuff and we're gonna be talking all things that's gonna be happening in the market as well as opportunities maybe we're having we're in the middle of hot boy summer and things are looking really good maybe we're like damn then maybe we should be selling maybe we should be holding but and then we're gonna have a lot of discussions as well as later on uh we're gonna have some vip ticket sales we're only selling 12 of them they're not for sale right now but they are going to be selling in the future you do need to purchase a ticket in order to get the vip ticket just as an fyi so I'll drop a link in the chat right now, and then uh, thank you so much. So on so on this Saturday at 1 p.m. I will be intro uh, I'll be interviewing Nerd Girl, and we're gonna be talking about girls in crypto. Oh my God, man, save me! <laughs> this is gonna be an interesting one, right? But uh, I'm gonna give my real honest take. Obviously, I'm not gonna be mean about it, but I'm gonna give my real honest take about women in crypto. And if you're gonna do it, there's a lot of pros and cons to it. There's a lot of pros, but a lot of cons as well as uh, I'm gonna give the real case for the guy side why like. The reason the space is so male dominated is because it's a way for you to make her financially irrelevant. I've said this on Fresh and Fit, and I'm not going to back down from it. It's true. So, with that, you guys, thank you so much for joining me. Peace. And, um, yeah, wait, did we have any super chats, Kyle? Yes, we do. Uh, Almost rugged. Almost, <laughs> Almost rugged. Almost rugged. Guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, GC for $5. In your opinion, when is the low going to be? in the housing market and why wanted to hear your take on it all right so it all de it all depends on where we're going to end up having the the if, if we end up if we end up if november ends up being the 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 top of the of the rate of the rate hikes it could it could go into january possibly just it all depends i don't think we have a december one because we just leave it alone for christmas but we they could be trying to have make a january low just have it in january crashes even lower in january for tax season and everything like that and then wash wash sales and then just crashes down that could end up being the bottom right there and then it's usually six to nine months later so i would imagine like it it would probably be late quarter two quarter three of 2024 and it all it, it could all it also depends too because it, it could be actually spurred along in terms of the bottom really starts happening once the fed really starts cutting rates if the, if the fed starts cutting rates in the middle of the year that's pretty much the bottom there but it would probably be a little bit longer because there's a lot of like turmoil in the market just because they're they're cutting rates 25 basis points that's not really going to do shit. It's going to make everything positive for crypto and real estate, crypto and equities, because we're already like free floating. We can move, mm -hmm. but real estate still. If you're you're going from six percent or seven or five point seven down to five and a half, it's not that big of a difference. It's good. It's positive, but it's like it's you're still hurting. So it's it would if if I if someone put a gun in my head and I have to say I'd be, the bottom's probably like taking everything into consideration, very late twenty four. Because also like the, the sales of home, the sales of homes, the, the sales are usually very good in the first half of the year and very bad at the second half of the year, right? Everyone buys a home during the spring and like summer. And then the, you know, you know, once you get into the fall and like December months and stuff, everyone's like not trying to buy a house, right? Like try to buy a house in the middle of like a place where it's snowing. <laughs> You're not going to do it, right? So like how we can see prices pretty much hit the rock bottom right there. And then as the rates finally start coming down, we start seeing the real estate market kind of lifting itself back up. 
and this is going to help the economy out. But the one thing we could, I could, I'm worried about for possibly 25 is that because the the the, the real estate market is finally kind of coming back to life. You know, quarter one of 2025 is really starting to come back to life. Um, they may have to like pause rates again. And it all depends on the CPI. So we're, we're going to keep an eye on this and stuff. Like we can only see so far. It's kind of like Jerome said, like we only see so far. Like we can, we can look about a year ahead or so, but like two, three, it starts, you're, you're basically just speculating gambling. Numbers, yeah. yeah, you're just, it's bullshit. And I can give you my best case, but that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. But I hear here, if crypto's pumping by then, I mean, shit, like, lag out the bottom this far. Bottom again, man, shit. We're trying to get, once we get more crypto rich, we'll buy the bottom on the real estate market. <laughs> and I'll sell my homes to BlackRock <laughs> at the top. So with that, you guys, uh, is that the last one? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, okay. We're all caught up. Yeah, we're all caught up. Okay. So with that, man, thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys Saturday at 1 p.m. PSD, man. Peace. And we didn't hit the intro. <laughs> <laughs>